never wanted to be in a fancy metropolitan broadcast facility where the most thought-provoking thing within view is an occasional four-car pileup on the freeway below. We like being miles from nowhere, in the middle of a vineyard that cannot be seen from the little two-lane road on the other side of that rise. Our barn has awesome acoustics and was built with hand tools over a hundred years ago. Nonetheless, we've got some really state-of-the-art broadcast technology inside. And our wine cellar wants a root cellar that is absolutely packed with wine we've collected or been given by friends. Welcome. You have just set foot on Grape Encounters Radio property, where we don't believe in no trespassing signs. But let's make this our little secret. Oh, and that wine is protected by the sweetest-looking golden retriever who dated a Doberman for a while, so don't get any ideas. me some ice skin me a peach save the fuzz for my pillow i am in a particularly good mood today because i have just spent the last hour with two of the most incredible people Uh, we had them on the show i'm gonna say maybe two three months ago but we had to do it over the phone and this is the first time that they have been in the studio actually in the grape encounters emporium and studio and i got to do a little wine blending for them and tell you what there is nothing more nerve-wracking than to blend wine for the people who created the largest brand in america with me today is michael houlihan and bonnie harvey they are the authors of the New York Times bestseller, The Barefoot Spirit, and that probably tips you off as to what the brand is that they created, the Barefoot brand. And Michael and Bonnie, welcome. Thank you, David. We are delighted to be here. I'm so glad to have you guys here, Michael. Yeah, it's great to be here. What did you think of my blends? Well, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, uh, this whole idea is amazing. It's a lot of fun. I got to Blend wine for the biggest names in the wine business. Now, I want to start by saying this. I had somebody come into the wine bar a couple of days ago, and they said, how come you're always talking about barefoot wine? You're really a boutique wine kind of a guy. I actually told them that you guys were going to be here, and they kind of poo-pooed that a little bit because... Barefoot is a big brand. It's a big commercial brand. You can find it almost anywhere. In fact, somebody said, yeah, you can get it in a gas station, which is true. But what's also true about the Barefoot brand is it's probably brought into the wine circle millions, I would guess, of people who might otherwise have not enjoyed wine because it is a brand that was uniquely and is uniquely approachable. Am I right about that? Well, I mean, who was the target for Barefoot? The target for Barefoot was the shopper of wine in the chain stores. It's the female shopper that goes out to buy her weekly staples, and she wants a product, she wants a brand that she can trust in everything that she's buying, and that includes her wine. It's something that she can rely on, it's got a good price, and the flavor is consistent. And that's a real key to the success for Barefoot, I think, is consistent flavor. Also, it's a label that they will recognize and remember and it's a very outstanding label so it's easy to recognize easy to remember consistent flavor at a good price and that's what the female shopper wants she's buying more wines in the grocery stores than anyone else michael you want to jump in well i just want to give some statistics uh you know 78 percent of wine purchases are made by females 37 with two and a half kids 
So if you start thinking about that, she's buying her Tuesday night wine. She's buying wine that she wants to taste the same from year to year to year to year. That makes it a little different than vintage wine because if she gets something that tastes funny, she's going to stop buying that product. And it's Tuesday night wine for her. But then again, there's six Tuesday nights in the week. So Barefoot never tried to compete. (laughs) You like that, huh, David? (laughs) There is. Six Tuesday nights. There's six Monday mornings in my week. I don't know what you're talking (laughs) about. Well, you're having more fun than we are. But anyway, the the bottom line is that America really needed a good Vanditab. And when we started Barefoot, we went to our guru, who was Mark Lyon, who was the top winemaker for Sebastiani Wines. The guy's got a degree in enology and viticulture. And we used to call Mark Mix Master Deluxe because he could fix wines that were maybe off or had a problem or too much VA or this or that. And he could create these consistent blends from year to year, no matter what he started with. And actually, that took a lot more skill and knowledge than ventifying wine from scratch on, a, on an annual basis. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me. And that was the reason that I really wanted to talk to you guys. So I really appreciate, first of all, you coming down here to the studio. I know it's a long journey, and I really appreciate that. And I appreciate you indulging me in doing a little blending. Oh, that was fun, David. You're not strangers to blending, but <laughs> Vinthesis no. is the wave of the future, I think. And uh, listeners who want to come to the Grape Encounters Emporium, which, by the way, is E-M-P-O-U-R-I-U-M, Emporium, please come down. I'll whip you up something. And it's a whole lot of fun. But what I think is so interesting is there are a lot of really good big brands out there that if you're having a backyard barbecue, you're having a family get-together, you're having a tailgate party, you know, you don't have to get fancy because... The wines in the $10 price range these days are better than wines that were three times that price 20 years ago. We've got this thing down pat, and it's companies like Barefoot. You know, Barefoot eventually was bought by Gallo in in 05, right? Yes. If you talk to any wine – and this is what I said to the person who was in the wine bar. I said, you talk to any wine person about Gallo, you will never hear a winemaker disparage Gallo. Because Gallo is responsible for uh, maybe most of the innovations in creating great wines. Am I right? I think they've done a fine job of bringing the entire industry forward technologically and in terms of consistent product. And and they've they've given enologists tools that they never had before. But uh, getting back to what you were saying about Barefoot, you know, Barefoot, like I said, it was was never designed to be a Saturday night wine. It was designed really – for folks who maybe they didn't like wine at all. And today, many of these people are enjoying fine wines and fine varietals that they never would have approached before. You know, when we first got started, we got calls from some of the top winemakers in uh, Sonoma and Napa County, and they said, well, you're cheapening wine, you're taking away the mystery, you know, what are you guys doing? You're making a joke out of wine. Ten years later, they would call us up and say, we want to thank you because you filled our tasting room up with people that we know would be still drinking beer if it wasn't for beer. Come on, seriously. Absolutely. They were calling to thank you. Is that right, Bonnie? Oh, yes, they did. As a matter of fact, we didn't have a tasting room, but we would hear from other tasting rooms. And we heard it all the time. Our tasting room was really any place where wine was being poured, like for a nonprofit or for a wine function or something like that. That was our tasting room. That's where we 
could taste our products uh, uh, with the consumer and we'd get feedback. And what we heard over and over again was Barefoot was the first wine I ever tried. And I tried it because I loved the label and I could remember the label. And then when I tasted it, the price was right and the flavor was really there. It even had a gold medal sticker on the bottle and I could pronounce it. I wasn't intimidated by it. I think the most interesting thing about Barefoot, for me anyway, is you took a risk that literally has changed the wine world. You two people, more than anybody else, had the audacity to put a footprint on a wine label and make wine fun, and it ticked people off, and now everybody's copying you. We did that because... We were intimidated by wines ourselves, and we thought it was a crying shame. So we tried to give people something that was non-intimidating, non-confounding. Now, you're in sandals right now, Bonnie, and that foot looks familiar. She's holding her foot up here in the studio. Look at this. I feel like I'm in the Playboy radio studio now. It looks delicious, doesn't it, David? Yeah, (laughs) that is a very pretty foot. And is it? Is that your foot on the label? Oh, yes. That's my foot. Really? Absolutely. So if you ever committed a crime, they could just take the barefoot label (laughs) and match it up to you, and that'd be it. But you'd have to commit the crime barefooted. Oh. (laughs) Well, I just wanted to say that the way that the barefoot label came about is quite interesting because we were trying to collect funds for our friend who was facing a, a bankrupt winery, and he was a grower of grapes. And they weren't paying him. So we went to the winery and we said, listen, you can't pay us money, but maybe you can trade us bulk wine and bottling services and we'll clear the debt. And they agreed to do that. And that's how Barefoot got started. A lot of people don't realize that was to actually clear a debt for a friend. And it's in our book. So, you know, we went to the largest wine buyer in California at the time, which was Lucky Markets. And we said, you know, what should we do? And he said, well, he said, don't make it a leap. Don't make it a hill or a mountain. Don't make it a bridge. He said, don't make it a chateau. Don't put it in French. Put it in plain English and make the name the same as the logo. So let me understand this and make sure that everybody out there understands it. You came upon a bunch of wine. Oh, you bet. And you had to do something with it. We had to. And if you could get rid of the wine, you could help a friend who was owed a debt. Right. Bonnie Harvey, Michael Houlihan, I love talking to these guys. They tour the world. They tell people how to be successful. Anyhow, uh, the Barefoot Spirit, a New York Times bestseller. They are real icons, not just in the wine industry, but in the entrepreneurship world as well. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters in just a second. Don't go anywhere. Go get a notepad. Take some notes. We'll be right back. A lot of people ask me why Manzanita Manor's incredible Portuguese dessert wine is called Two Horse. Well, the reason behind the name is as extraordinary as the wine itself. It's because the owner and winemaker at Manzanita Manor Organics actually uses two beautiful horses to pull the plow on her farmland. When you take your very first sip of the Two Horse Vineyard's irresistible dessert wine, you'll immediately experience the winemaker's unparalleled connection to the land. It's what really makes it so good. You can purchase this exceptional wine online, as well as their purely delicious walnut oil, 100% organic heirloom walnuts, and free trade chocolate-covered walnuts. To learn more about all the Manzanita Manor Organics products, visit mmorganics.com. You can order all their walnut products there, and bottles of two horse, of course. 
Purchase and shipping subject to state and local regulations. Please see mmorganics.com for more information. We're all guilty of sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the unconsumed wine going bad. And while the Coravin wine access system costs a bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works perfectly. The Coravin is a beautifully engineered handheld device that gives you access to your wine through a small needle that you gently push straight through the cork. Inert argon gas is injected into the bottle, while as little or as much of the wine that you want flows right into your glass. The argon gas keeps your wine so safe, it's as though you never opened the bottle. Want to learn more? Simply click the Coravin link at GrapeEncounters.com. A wine is a terrible thing to waste. Get your Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. You're listening to Grape Encounters Radio where we tell you things your parents never taught you about wine. But don't blame them. Grape Encounters wasn't around in those days. Drinking that barefoot champagne all morning. Big house with wine all night. All right, back with Grape Encounters Radio. And there is a saying in the wine business that if you want to make a million dollars in the wine business, you start with $10 million. It's a very hard industry to make a lot of money in. And it seems completely ironic that somebody from the wine industry would actually be teaching people in other industries how to make money because the wine industry may be one of the most unprofitable industries out there. It's an easy way to lose money. But we are talking to the pioneers of Worthy Cause Marketing. And in an effort to help other people, they ended up building the biggest brand. Is it America, Michael, or is it the world? It's now the largest wine brand in the world. Yeah, you're not responsible for that. You own America, right? Only the DNA. Only the DNA. But, you know, you came up with an idea. See, it's funny because I think people look at the supermarket shelves or maybe they buy it in a packaged goods store, depending upon where you're living. But wherever you buy your wine, they're now used to looking at campy wine labels that have, you know, we call it critter wine when it has pictures of animals because... That's roadkill, Yeah, it's roadkill. Don't forget bakery goods. (laughs) Yeah, bakery goods or some sort of sexual innuendo is very common now on wine labels. None of this would have been acceptable 20 years ago. None of it. But you guys came along and you made the first really concerted attempt to make wine approachable and friendly. Mm -hmm. Why the foot? Well, grapes were originally crushed barefoot to make wine. That had a lot to do with it. And it was a large icon that's friendly. It's uh, non-confounding, as I had said before, and everybody can relate to it. Everybody's got a foot. And somehow, showing a foot makes people smile. So people would actually start having a good time before they even popped the cork. I think America really, though, wants to know, are your feet happy? (laughs) You want to see my happy feet dance? (laughs) I wish that we were on television right now because we're all wearing dark sunglasses. How did this start? You wanted to, Michael just said, let's be the Blues Brothers for the rest of this. You are a crack up. Well, you know, my attitude is I'm visiting Southern California. We came through Central California. So I'm getting started by practicing my dark glasses. Because we all wear dark, we all wear dark glasses and baseball caps down here. That's it. That's it. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go back to blending for a second because you had this master mixologist that you hired, but you guys didn't know squat about wine, right? No, we couldn't even pronounce the names on the label. No. The thing is, success in business is when you know what you don't know. And you do what you do best, and you delegate the rest. And we were smart enough to know that we weren't winemakers. And we were looking for a winemaker that could really deliver what that 37-and-a-half-year-old mom with two kids wanted. And that was a consistent varietal taste from year to year to year to year. Now, the guy who we helped out originally collect his debt, Mark Lyon, he was our first winemaker, and he actually came up with a blueprint for Barefoot's taste profile, and he said, you know, the wines have got to taste more like the grapes taste on the vine. So he would bring us grapes. He'd say, these are Sauvignon Blanc grapes. Taste them. What do you think? Okay, so here's the Barefoot blend of Sauvignon Blanc. What do you think? And that really stayed with me. It's a very American, a very Western concept. It's not, you know, wines that have been adulterated or have been overly made or anything like that. It's very clean. It's very down to business. Were you adding additives that were not grape-based additives to the wine? No, they were all grape the they, seasonings were all some So you were form seasoning grape, with other grapes. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, there are 200 additives that the FDA something. lets you add to wine, and you don't have to disclose that. Right. How sensitive were you to that? Very sensitive. I mean, we use bentonite, which is a type of clay to clarify the wines, like everybody does. And we used the same processes that most wines use when they make wine. However... We tried to stay as close as we could to the true varietal character of the wine. You have to remember, this is non-vintage wine. So what are we really selling here? We're selling varietal character. So when you taste barefoot Cabernet, it tastes like Cabernet grapes. You taste barefoot Merlot, it tastes like Merlot grapes. And it doesn't go beyond that. You know, it's very simple. You know, it's not prescriptive by any means. So simple, clean, and basic. You got that right. Fruit forward was another key point that we were looking for. Full mouth feel, easy drinking. If you just jumped in with us, we're talking to Michael Houlihan and Bonnie Harvey. They were the founders of Barefoot Wines. They are the authors of the Barefoot Spirit, which is a New York Times bestseller. They are the pioneers of worthy cause marketing which we actually talked about on a a previous show, and I'd encourage you to go back if you want to. Go to grapeencounters.com, and you can find that show very easily. Just search for it. Search for Barefoot, and you'll find it there, and give that a listen, because it's a very interesting interview. But that was over the phone. This is the first time you guys have been in the studio. We got the wine glasses here. We got the sunglasses here. We got Bonnie's bare feet here. The the whole real... (laughs) But there are two things I don't get. The first is this. You were not massively successful, were you, at the time that you took on this project? Or were you? Where would you put your level of success compared to the average American citizen when you first started this? Are you talking about income or Yeah. Financially successful successful were you? uh, You don't have to put zeros on it, but how successful were you compared to other people? Well, when we first started making the wines, the first couple years, we were actually losing money on every case, but we were making it up in volume, David. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow, that's a great way to answer and not answer the question. (laughs) Well, uh, let's put it this way. If you're going to give America a good 5 6 or $7 bottle of wine, 
you've got to sell at least 200,000 cases just to break even. Really? Yeah. So, th- so, so did you guys party when you sold 201,000 cases? Well, let's just I say... I think we were working too hard. They used to say, you know, why doesn't America have a good $5 bottle of wine? We have the answer. We know the answer. The answer is it's too expensive to do that. You have to be really big. You have to have a huge, huge volume. You have to have huge distribution in order for the, you to be able to deliver that. And that was what held us back for probably the first five or even six years of Barefoot's existence was getting up to a level where we were actually making and selling enough to sustain the program. And those were the dicey days. Yeah. Wow. We're talking big time wine. And the reason we're talking about big brands today, and I I talk about big brands from time to time, I have absolutely no aversion to big mass produced wines because, you know, there's a level of continuity there that cannot be overlooked. There is a lot that those brands contribute to the world of wine because, you know, they bring people in who might not otherwise come into the brand because, you know, if you're a kid out of college and in order to drink a good bottle of wine, you got to spend $40, not going to happen. You're going to go to beer or a bottle of bourbon instead because it's a lot cheaper or vodka is really cheap these days. But Barefoot created an entry point that was much wider than any other entry point that ever existed in the wine business. Hence, it became the biggest brand in America is today was sold to Gallo. We're talking to Michael Houlihan and Bonnie Harvey, and we'll be back to wrap up this conversation in just a moment. So refill your glass you know if you need to refill it with a 60 dollars bottle of cabernet do it if you want to refill it with barefoot it'll get you in the spirit the barefoot spirit we'll be back with more grape encounters after this it's time to take a quick break it'll take just enough time for us to uncork your next grape encounter The hottest gift for wine enthusiasts is the next generation of the most amazing wine accessory ever created. Whether it's a gift for the wine lover in your life or a reward for yourself, nothing can improve wine enjoyment like the astounding Corvin Model 2, which allows wine to be poured from an unopened bottle. Find out why the Corvin Model 2 is so revolutionary at GrapeEncounters.com. We have the new Corvins in stock at Grape Like the Fruit Encounters like CloseEncounters.com. Grape Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California for good reason. It's the heart of the Central Coast wine country and the perfect home base for endless adventures. Atascadero is friendly, affordable, and offers unparalleled access to world-class equestrian ranches, bicycle trails, hiking, breathtaking beaches, cutting-edge culinary experiences, and endless wine country adventures. Learn more about Atascadero the gateway to good times at visitatascadero.com. As a grape encounterist, you know how much fun an hour of conversation about wine can be each week. But there's no way we can pack everything into a show. Listeners just like you are turning the Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group into an incredible online community where like-minded wine lovers converse, share information, and inspire each other with posts on a variety of interesting topics. If you haven't discovered your community, join in today on Facebook by entering Grape Encounters Radio. Get a jump on the holidays and start looking for the perfect gift for that wine lover in your life. At winetalkshow.com, you'll find an awesome selection of wine-related gifts and accessories that are not the same old, same old. From the most advanced wine preservation systems to beautiful accessories. If you can remember winetalkshow.com, 
you can find tons of products for wine lovers in a snap. We've got what every wine lover wants at winetalkshow.com. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. Okay, back with Grape Encounters Radio and just a few more minutes that we get to spend with Bonnie Harvey and Michael Houlihan. You talk to anybody in the... Oh my gosh, my sunglasses just covered up my... We're sitting in the studio. You guys took your sunglasses off. Oh, they put them on. Why are we doing this again, Michael? Because it's fun. I'm uh, not Michael. Oh, that, that would be Bonnie. Okay. <laughs> you guys are a crack up, man. Do you guys have this much fun all the time? We try. Don't we, Bonnie? For, for 32 years, we've been having fun. Anyway, Michael Houlihan and Bonnie Harvey, the founders of the Barefoot Wine Company, I don't know that we could name another brand that's had as much influence on what we're doing wine-wise today than Barefoot because it really caused the wine industry to take a hard, sharp turn into new territory where wine suddenly became not something that mom and dad drank, but that was cool for young people. And if you look at the wine shelves today, you're going to see nothing but friendly labels for the most part. And winemakers and the owners of wineries sit around talking, how can we make our wine more friendly? And you guys did that. You guys did that. Wow. And you're here in my studio (laughs) in sunglasses and bare feet. Wow. That's right. We're still having fun with wine. Yeah. What are you guys doing wine-wise now? Nothing, right? Well, we're enjoying fine wines. I mean, we live in the Russian River Valley, you know. it's Yes. The, I, I, can I say that I've been to your house and... The finest Pinot Noirs in the world are there. So, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, you know what's interesting is now that we're out of the wine business, we're actually enjoying wine. Yeah. You know, when you're on the other side of the bar, you tend to be more concerned about your customer's experience. But now we're getting a chance to see what that experience is, and it's delightful. This is a great thing. So what's the average amount of money that you spend on a bottle of wine, honestly? For us? Probably about 15 bucks. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, sometimes 25. Do you drink Barefoot Wines today? Yes, we do. What I think is amazing about you guys is that normally when somebody sells a company, you sold your company to Gallo in 05, Normally, when somebody sells a company, at some point, there's this sort of disconnect that happens, and you see how the person who bought your company is treating your child, and you start to feel really, like, itchy about that. Mm -hmm. You guys are just the opposite. You're wearing barefoot monogrammed clothing. (laughs) Almost every time I see you, Michael, you've got something that says barefoot. You're proud proud of what Gallo did with the company. We're proud of the brand, and we're proud of what Gallo did with the company. I mean, you have to remember, after they acquired the brand, they hired us to be brand consultants because they wanted us to, as they put it, keep the barefoot spirit alive. And we like that term so much, that's what we call our New York Times bestseller, The Barefoot Spirit. But they have really been meticulous in staying true to the DNA of the brand. They hired many of our people, and they've done a fine job with Worthy Cost Marketing. The quality is there. I'm very proud, and so is Bonnie, aren't you, of what they've done? I am. She's like (laughs) sipping a glass of wine over there. Uh, You caught her by surprise. She's got this big smile on her face. I love to catch her by surprise. She's drinking my blend over there, by the way, which is kind of... Delicious. I just finished it off, so we'll have to do this again, David. Do you David. think the blend is masterful, by the way? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> You're not putting Absolutely. words in our mouth, are you? I'm putting wine in your mouth. Yeah, actually. you are. All right, let's talk about the wine industry's dirty little secret. Oh, you're both looking at me. 
Bonnie's shaking her head no. Bonnie, I'm going to throw this one at you just because you shook your head no. Uh-huh. Now okay. I'm in trouble. The wine industry's dirty little secret, which is that, you know, people will go into a wine store and they will see a label that says something like little country winemaker on it. And it's got somebody on the porch in a rocking chair. And you get the sense that it's a little tiny down home winemaker. And in reality, most of those wines are big, big companies that are selling those wines under multiple labels. True or false? Um, I, I don't know. A lot of... Come on. Seriously? It's not... Large wine companies will put out a lot of different labels, and they do like to appeal to people that think that they're unique and they're small. And talking about the winemaker on the porch and the rocking chair or something, yes, that's very cute, and it feels like your neighbor. People like to buy things from their neighbor. It's friendlier. It's somebody they can trust. It's local. And that's a good selling point. It's a good marketing point for these large wineries to be making labels like that. Yeah, but isn't it super dishonest? It's the big boys who control most of the shelf space in the retail store. So how do I as a consumer know whether that little wine is coming from a big producer or a legitimate small boutique winery? It's pretty hard to know, but I will say this. Many large producers are starting to figure out that if they do acquire a small boutique winery, that they bend over backwards to keep the winemaker intact, to keep the whole DNA of that brand intact. Because they know if it starts to taste corporate, that people are not stupid. They're going to pick up on it. So even though it might be owned by a large corporation, it could still be a cutesy little wine. Okay, so let me say this about it. I respect Barefoot for the fact that they don't pretend to be small and down home. They're a huge brand and there's no pretense there. And there are a lot of companies, by the way, you know, Kendall Jackson, Chardonnay, delicious Chardonnay, Kenwood Chardonnay, delicious Chardonnay. They're making hundreds of thousands of bottles of those wines and those are premium labels. And they're making wines that sell at $20, $30 or more. You can see a wine like Gurgich Hills. I don't know why I'm picking Chardonnays right now, but the Gurgich Hills Chardonnay sells for $40 to $50 a bottle. And you can find it in almost any really respectable wine store in the country. Yeah, well, there's the key. You can find it. And the reason you can find it is because they have superior distribution. And unfortunately, when Americans go to the wine shop, they think that's all that there is. Now, you're blessed to live here in the Central Coast where you have a lot of brands that people have never ever heard of. And I suggest that people come here and actually explore and discover some of these brands that they will never see in the stores. The same thing is true of Sonoma County where we live and Napa County. There are brands that you've never even heard of that you can go discover. But then when you get down to the brands that are in the store, now you're talking about what are my choices for dinner tonight? And so that's where it really comes down is when you have to make that choice. And so there, you're pretty much at the mercy of the distribution system. The last question that I want to ask you that I don't want to end this conversation without asking you because it's something that broils me. It's probably no subject has caused me to become more emotional on this show than these, I'm going to say, SOBs who filed this class action lawsuit pertaining to arsenic and wine. I'm livid about it because it is the most disgusting, despicable. There are no words to describe how horrible that action is. Did you guys ever put arsenic in wine? No. (laughs) No, of course not. What do you think about that? 
Well, it's like crying fire in a crowded theater. It's hard to unring the bell. Yes. And that's what they're doing to the wine industry. It was even the, if they're trying wrong, to discredit the they're industry. They're trying to discredit the whole industry. Well, the guy who started all this owns a testing lab, and the same day they came out with the press release on arsenic and wine, he was offering up his services for wineries to come and have their wines tested. You know, he knew there was arsenic and wine all along. He was testing people's wine and he said, aha, got an idea. There's more arsenic and wine than water. Let's shake things up and let's go for the deep pockets. Was this kind guy of... a lawyer, by the way? No, he was. He owned a testing lab. Oh, I thought he, he owns a testing lab. It sounds like he was trying to get his word out there and his company out there is what it sounds like by discrediting another industry. And I think, you know, honestly, the wine industry, there's, I think, the, the level of concern about quality and people's health, you know, all of those factors, never been better. I agree. Never I agree better. as well. I agree. All right. Guess what? Time's up for today. Anyway, will you guys come back? Absolutely. I can just sit here and talk to you all night. In fact, got one more segment we got to do. We're going to do the Grape Encounters News is coming up next. We've got to tell people what's going on in the industry. There's something going on all the time. You know, if you could read about wine 24-7 and never know everything there is to know about wine. That's true. Takes a lot of research, David. All right. We're going to take a break. I'm going to blend you guys up something to get you going for the rest of the day. Yay. And what a pleasure to have you here. I just appreciate it so much. You have no idea. I really do. Well, you are fun to be with, and you're very knowledgeable about wine. I've learned a lot being here. And a great host. Uh, awesome. Okay, well, guys, we will uh, have you back really soon. And again, I so appreciate it. And thank you so much for what you've done for the industry, because you brought so many people into the industry. And I own a wine bar, so you know what? I think I need to send you a percentage. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be back with with more Grape Encounters after this. And be sure to go pick up a copy of The Barefoot Spirit, New York Times bestseller, and your new book. I forgot to plug it. It's called The Entrepreneurial Culture, 23 Ways to Engage and Empower Your People. You know, it's nice that you didn't say like 25 or 10 or 15. It's 23. 23. That's all you could come nice, up with. It's a nice round number. It's we ran not a round out. number. We ran out. You ran out. <laughs> or the bottle got empty. We, right, we we'll counted be, them. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters after this. <laughs> I've got an eight dollar bottle of wine Picked it up on sale in the checkout line Oh, it looked pretty good to me Made somewhere in California For that price, honey, how bad could it be? Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe you are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. It's all in the wrist. Give that top a twist and she's ready to pour. We like to talk about wine. Grape Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California for good reason. It's the heart of the Central Coast wine country and the perfect home base for endless adventures. Atascadero is friendly, affordable, and offers unparalleled access to world-class equestrian ranches, bicycle trails, hiking, breathtaking beaches, cutting-edge culinary experiences, and endless wine country adventures. Learn more about Atascadero. The gateway to good times at visitatascadero.com. Living in and broadcasting from one of the world's finest wine regions makes it virtually impossible not to make frequent references to the multitude of amazing things going on here on the central coast of California. 
Rape Encounters Radio has built one of the world's most unique wine bars so that you can have the opportunity to come to the city of Atascadero and enjoy great wines and equally good conversation with me and other visitors. Best of all, my favorite hotel in the area is literally right across the street the historic Carlton Hotel with accommodations that are both beautiful and affordable. The Carlton Hotel takes you back to a glorious time in California history. And now that the wine industry has ushered in yet another exciting new chapter here on the Central Coast, you can experience the best of then and now. Book your accommodations at the lovingly restored Carlton Hotel in Atascadero. Then, let me help you plan daily excursions that will create a lifetime of unforgettable memories. You'll find a link to the Carlton Hotel at GrapeEncounters.com. Why not get a jump on the holidays and start looking for the perfect gift for that wine lover in your life? At WineTalkShow.com, you'll find an awesome selection of wine-related gifts and accessories that are not the same old, same old. From the most advanced wine preservation systems to beautiful accessories. If you can remember WineTalkShow.com, you can find tons of products for wine lovers in a snap. We've got what every wine lover wants at WineTalkShow.com. Some people make wine. Others make wine news. Grape Encounters presents what we heard through the grapevine. This is Grape Encounters News. It took me by surprise, I must say, when I found out yesterday. Don't you know that I heard it through the grapevine? Okay, back with Grape Encounters. And there are all kinds of stories that I never get a chance to share with you because we only have so much time. But I want to make sure we squeeze a few more things in before we sign off for this week. This first story should be of great interest to all of you who now enjoy a better way to get around town. Any town. Long before the term Uber became synonymous with inexpensive, innovative transportation, it was used to describe something that is superior. So what is an Uber wine experience? Well, let me put it to you this way. There's no doubt that I've enjoyed many an Uber wine experience in my life, and I recall actually using the term Uber on a few occasions when I experienced wines that were truly mesmerizing. Today, Uber and wine are used in the same sentence a lot. That's because Uber, the company, and wine lovers have discovered that they were made for each other. Uber, the alternative cab company, sees wine country tourism as a huge opportunity to generate niche income. Until now, wine country visitors had three choices. One, carefully limit your consumption and do your own driving or have a designated driver. Two, hire one of the many wine country limo services to do the driving for you. Or three, join an organized tour and spend your day getting in and out of a sometimes packed passenger van or bus. Those were your choices prior to May 2014 when Uber made its wine country debut. Today, Uber is close to completing nearly a half million rides in Napa and Sonoma counties alone. In other wine countries, Uber offers an hourly rate of as little as $35, which means you'll have more money to pay for a great Cabernet. Which takes us to our next story about a stockpile of great Cabernets and other completely amazing wines. So here's a little riddle for you. What is 100 feet below ground, larger than 22 football fields, and has content worth $1.5 billion? For the answer, we'll need to take a little ride to the English countryside. Driving around the rolling farmland outside of Bath, England, you would likely never notice anything unusual. Grazing animals, crops, and countryside. Well, if you're a lover of fine wine 
The excitement is what's underground. Back in the 1800s, when many a fine mansion was being built from stone quarried deep underground, a series of caves became the byproduct of all that burrowing. Toward the end of the 1930s, the British Ministry of Defense took over the catacombs for the purpose of safely storing munitions. Well, about 50 years later, the mine-turned-munitions dump became Octavian's Corsham Cellars, one of the largest fine wine storage facilities in Europe. And this wine cellar is not just enormous in size. It's mighty big on the rarest of rare Bordeaux wines, many of them nearly priceless. In fact, the cellar's contents is valued at about $1.5 billion, much of it belonging to the world's finest wine collections and auction houses. And though these vast man-made caverns no longer serve as a munitions dump, you could spend years exploring rare wines that are truly the bomb. Now, speaking of bombs, there's a great deal of speculation going on about the 2015 vintage. Will it bomb or will it be superior but scarce? Well, at long last, rain has begun to fall on the West Coast, but it will do nothing to change the outcome of the 2015 harvest. While the numbers continue to be tallied, one thing is certain. Overall, 2015 was a devastating year for grape growers and winemakers. In fact, some growers report catastrophic losses as high as 100%, and crop yields down as much as 60 to 80% were commonplace, although the average seems to be more like 20 to 30% off, which is still mighty devastating. The silver lining that often comes with drought is higher quality wine. That's because grapevines actually love stress. Unfortunately, like humans, they also can take only so much. Sometime soon, we'll have a better sense of what will be delicious and what won't. But winemakers tend to be an optimistic bunch. So while we all hope for the best, let's not let optimism overshadow objectivity. Because very few in the wine business would want to relive 2015. Thank goodness we broke production records in each of the prior three years. From low production to the perils of overconsumption. And the answer to a question that we have probably all asked at one time or another. What is it about some wines that cause you to get that warm feeling all over and that glassy look in your eyes? You know what I'm talking about. People will often say, wow, that wine really hit me. Others are able to enjoy wine with little or no adverse effects. So what gives? The alcohol in wine can vary greatly from bottle to bottle. Anywhere between 6% to 16% alcohol. That's a big difference, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the wine with 16% alcohol is going to have a stronger effect on you. Consider this. Sweet wines with a lower alcohol content often have a greater impact on the consumer because they go down easy and are finished faster. However, someone sipping a complex dry red is more likely to take some time doing it. And then there's champagne, which tends to affect people more significantly. That's because the CO2 in sparkling wines and champagne speeds up the absorption of the alcohol into the bloodstream. Whatever the case, I've got four words for the wise. Slow down and savor. Because if you're into big gulps, stick with 7-Eleven. A few minutes ago, we were talking about the 2015 vintage and speculation about the quality we might expect. Which begs a second question. What impact will significantly lower production have on bargain wines? Well, I'm glad you asked. California produces 90% of the country's domestically consumed wine. And while the bargains have been bountiful, the diminished production in 2015 could be bad news for bargain hunters. 
After a fourth consecutive year of drought and peculiar weather patterns in general, California's wine production has taken a serious hit. And while we can only speculate at this point, it's likely that the price of already produced wines from earlier years could become more costly to help make up for losses in this low production year. Now, while many wineries will hold the line on pricing, it's not hard to imagine that millions of bottles of 2012 through 2014 will be in greater than usual demand. And we all understand the laws of supply and demand. With more and more consumers taking a shine to fine wine, prices have already been inching their way up slowly. And a big shortage of premium grapes from California and other drought-stricken regions of the world this year may eventually compound rising prices. The good news is, most winemakers know that raising prices could cost them customers, and still others are looking for other revenue streams as well as ways to improve efficiencies so they can remain competitive. So while there will always be bargains out there, may I suggest stocking up now? Or next year, drink more beer. Drink beer? Ah, perish the thought. That's going to do it for this week's Grape Encounters. And remember, even if there's a shortage of wine in the coming years... There's always one thing you can do. Come and see me. I always have plenty for my friends. You never know what part of the country or the world the Grape Encounters microphones will take you to. Don't miss a single experience. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition. We like to talk about wine. Wine.